0: The following short story takes place in the universe of the 509 Crime Stories. This series of novels is based in eastern Washington and features rotating characters. Find them at Amazon.com from Colin Conway. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories and others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, unless the dogs decide to go mental. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and e-books. The companion to season four, A Word Before Dying, is available in trade paperback and e-book. This season's Companion will release on March 23, 2023. Watch for the pre-order link. This is Season 5, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death on the Nile. And cars have been prominently featured in American Crime Stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists, from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode four, a flatbed tow truck is the featured vehicle. This is Towed Away by Colin Conway. An Afternoon Killing A flatbed tow truck sat quietly in the middle of an activity mailstorm. Usually, it was a tertiary player in moments like this, but today the vehicle and its driver were the stars. They were in the vacant parking lot on the northwest corner of Mission Avenue and Hamilton Street. Two lines of yellow police do not cross tape circled the small lot, marking outer and inner perimeters. Spokane police detective Quinn Delaney slipped under the outer line to meet his partner, Marcy Burkett. Marcy wore a black pantsuit, a blue silk shirt, and black shoes. Her dark hair was cut in a punkish style, heavy on the bangs, short on the sides. It reminded Quinn of Joan Jett in her heyday. Marcy waved her notebook at the commotion surrounding them. You believe this? The intersection was one of the busiest in Spokane with eight lanes, twelve of the turns lanes were added. It sat in the shadow of Gonzaga University. It was on the periphery of downtown. Hamilton Street funneled north siders to and from Interstate 90. Vehicular traffic remained busy throughout the day, while pedestrians were usually sparse. Today, however, clusters of college students gathered on the sidewalks at the edge of the crime scene. Many had their cell phones in the air and pointed them toward the tow truck. Several uniformed officers stood nearby to limit the looky-loos from getting too close. Quinn shrugged. School's in session. That's my point, Marcy said. Those baby lawyers should be there, not here. Maybe they have online classes, Quinn murmured. Marcy rolled her eyes. Oh, that's great. They're learning how to eat their young even more efficiently. Quinn didn't feel like arguing. Not because he didn't enjoy verbally sparring with his partner, he did. It was that he didn't want to do it under the watchful eye of two dozen college students and their cell phones. He turned to survey the lot. Years prior, it had been a car wash. At the end of its useful life, the structure was demolished. Since then, weekend entrepreneurs trespassed onto the lot to sell everything from Rottweiler puppies, to sports themed blankets, to cheap sunglasses. Hungry passersby would occasionally intrude onto the lot and eat takeout from the neighboring drive through only McDonald's. Quinn himself had done that exact thing after leaving a different crime scene some months ago. The vacant lot's owners never complained about encroachment, and the city code's enforcement unit responded accordingly. They ignored the situation. They all might change their tune now, Quinn thought. Members of the Spokane Police Department's traffic unit blocked the closest lanes on Mission and Hamilton. Red and blue emergency lights flashed from atop their patrol vehicles. Horns honked as commuters merged into single file lanes. Ready, Marcy asked. Quinn nodded and headed for the inner perimeter. An officer with a clipboard stood by the tape. His blue name tag read Silva, and the rookie was responsible for tracking who entered and who left this area. Quinn ducked under the tape, but didn't bother holding it for Marcy. He tried that once, and she punched him in the arm for it. He never did it again. She bobbed under the yellow tape like a fighter slipping a punch. What do we know, Quinn asked her. I just got her myself and only got a quick debrief from the sergeant. She motioned across the lot. He's with some possible witnesses right now. Anyway... Dispatch called the tow company, McDougan Tow Yard, who said the truck was signed out to one of their drivers, Brandon Rice. They ran him through NCIC, petty entries from years ago, but no felonies. Quinn raised an eyebrow. Could he tow if he was a convicted felon? She shrugged. I don't think so, but maybe. Doesn't matter, though, since he wasn't. They approached the tow truck from the driver's side, studying the Harley Davidson strap to its flatbed. On the side of the black, teardrop-shaped gas tank were airbush wisps of smoke around the word Widowmaker. They couldn't see what was at the top of the tank. It couldn't be, Marcy said. She hurriedly climbed onto the flatbed. She dusted herself off as she moved forward. Whoever owns this bike is a wasted soul. Quinn didn't need to climb up to know what she saw. He was familiar with the biker club's logo, a skull shrouded in smoke. Marcy turned and hollered, Yo, Silva! When she got the rookie's attention, she pointed at the motorcycle. Run the plate and find the RO, and then check into their background. Got it? Quinn moved toward the cab. The driver's door was closed, but the window was rolled down. Blood splatter was visible on the front windshield. To see inside the truck's cab required climbing onto the sidestep. Quinn squatted and examined the stainless steel platform. It didn't appear as if any blood or other evidence was there. Marcy moved next to him as she tugged on a pair of blue latex gloves. Want first look? Quinn asked. She ascended the step and peered through the window. Marcy remained quiet for several moments. While she was up there, Quinn pulled a pair of latex gloves from the pocket of his suit jacket and slipped them on. Marcy hopped down. You'll like this one. Quinn stepped up and was careful where he put his hands. He wanted to ensure he didn't smudge possible fingerprints, so he held on to the side mirror support bar. Blood and brain matter smeared the inside of the windshield. A man slumped to his right. His weight was caught by the seatbelt. The skull's left side was blown away and spread about the cabin. Tiny slivers of bone were stuck in the window visor. Quinn imagined the shooter climbing onto the sidestep to confront Brandon. The detective leaned back and extended his hand like an imaginary gun. The driver would have had nowhere to go because he was in the seatbelts. He dropped his thumb. Blam. That's sick, a young woman hollered. Quinn looked over his shoulders to the group of onlookers with their phones raised in the air. He lowered his arm and reconsidered the dead men. It was likely the shooter kept the gun tight to the victim so a potential witness couldn't see what was occurring. That probably meant it was a quick movement. The shooter brought the gun up from its hiding place into the cab where it was fired. If it was slow, Brandon might have fought it off or a witness might have seen it. Quinn stepped off the platform. Behind the crowd of onlookers, a boxy white truck pulled onto the curb. The Spokane County Forensic Unit had arrived. Pretty brazen, Marcy said, killing someone on this stage. People stop here during the day, Quinn said. Even I've eaten lunch here before. A guy walking up to a parked vehicle wouldn't seem too out of the ordinary. Somebody had to notice this guy getting shot in the head, she said, looking over the crowd. Someone had to hear it, at least. Quinn looked up to the cab. The cab's window is eight feet off the ground. It, It seems like no one noticed until there was blood. The driver probably knew his killer, don't you think? Marcy motioned toward the window. It's rolled down. Quinn considered Rice letting a stranger get close. If the driver didn't know the shooter, he didn't fear them. Maybe a woman, an older man. Who gets you to drop your guard? No one, Marcy said, glancing back at the gaggle of college students. You think one of them could have done it? Quinn shook his head. Unlikely, I can't see them getting their hands dirty for this. Officer Silva walked over. He ripped a piece of paper from his notepad and handed it to Marcy. The Harley's registered owner is White Schulte. He's got a history of assault, some felons, and that's his address. Marcy waved the paper. We may have caught a break. It's not the clubhouse. Quinn was happy to hear that. He wouldn't have wanted to contact a a member of the Wasted Souls at their local headquarters. The biker gang wasn't known for its hospitality, especially toward cops. Marcy asked Silva. "'Any luck with the witnesses?' "'The rookie pointed to the opposite side of the vacant lot "'where two adult women huddled with the sergeant. "'There's a mother and her daughter "'who think they saw someone talking with the tow truck driver. "'They can't be sure if it was a man or a woman.' "'Marcy frowned. Well, that's helpful.' "'A semi-truck hauling cows drove southbound on Hamilton. "'Its engine roared and drowned out their conversation. "'The three waited until it passed. "'What about video?' Marcy asked.' One of the businesses around here must have some. McDonald's, the dry cleaner, the gas station. She flicked her hand toward each of them as she listed them. Silver shrugged. The sergeant asked some of the others to check into that. I'm on the log. Quinn and Marcy nodded their thanks and then moved beyond the last line of caution tape. Jerry Utley stepped out of the forensic trucks unit. She she led the team and had worked many scenes with the two detectives. Jerry smiled as she tucked her long blonde hand underneath the baseball cap. "'Look who it is,' she said. "'Riggs and Murtaugh.' "'Which one was Mel Gibson?' Quinn asked." Marcy tisked. "'Ignore him. He knows. He just doesn't like being called Murtaugh.' "'I was squat,' I was squat, Quinn said. "'I should be Riggs.' "'If you were partnered with Matt Nash, maybe.' Marcy tapped her surname. "'But I'm clearly the Riggs in this relationship.' Jerry smiled. Are the two of you ready? She grabbed the camera from the back of the truck. Let's go see what we're dealing with. For the next 90 minutes, Quinn and Marcy stood by as Jerry and the forensic team methodically processed the body and the tow truck's cab. The first thing the team did was erect a large screen to limit the views of bystanders. This elicited loud groans and calls of derision from the assembled crowd of students. Jerry photographed each step her investigators made They collected blood and tissue samples from the surfaces of the cab, found different color hairs embedded in the cloth seats, and eventually pulled a slug from the vehicle's support arm near the passenger door. The forensic team didn't process the body while it was in the cab though. The limited access and potential exposure to blood and other body tissues made it difficult. When two men from the medical examiner's transport team arrived, they removed the body and placed it on a gurney. Quinn emptied the victim's pockets and Jerry photographed the items. Then he deposited the various things into a clear plastic bag that Marcy held. The medical examiner's men shoved the gurney into a hearse and the body was whisked away. Marcy handed the plastic bag to Quinn. Inside were a wallet, a set of personal car keys, a cell phone, and 32 cents. He removed the wallet and opened it. It's confirmed, he said. The driver was Brandon Rice. Marcy snagged the bag back from Quinn and removed the phone. She activated it. Last call was from someone named Nadine. Looks like it came through roughly 30 minutes prior to the report of homicide. Could be the wife, Quinn suggested. Could be a girlfriend, Marcy countered. Jerry shrugged. If we're playing that game, why couldn't it be a sister? Marcy called the number and it went directly to voicemail. You've reached Nadine. You know what to do. The phone beeped and Marcy hung up. Nadine, no last name. She tossed the phone back into the plastic bag and looked at Quinn. Who do you want to talk to first? Things get sticky. We call him Sticky, Callum McDougan said, as in the rice. Quinn nodded. I, I got it. What can you tell us about Brandon? They were in the office of McDougan's tow yard, which sat at the corner of 2nd and Perry. The room smelled dirty of oil and perspiration. A calendar featuring a cherry red Chevy Nova hung on the wall behind McDougan. Next to it was a Playboy calendar from 1974 with the chesty blonde archering her back. A classic rock station played through the blinking clock radio which sat on a metal credenza. Leonard Skinner's song faded and was replaced by the Banner Fuel commercial. McDougan wore a faded blue shirt with a Mopar logo. His swivel chair squeaked as he leaned forward. He rested his hairy forearms along the edge of the desk. I'm not sure how much I should say. Quinn glanced at Marcy. Both sat in torn, pleather chairs. Her gaze remained firmly on McDougan and seemed unfazed by the man's statement. Quinn turned back to the tow-yard owner. Why won't you talk to us? It's not that I won't, McDougan said. He grabbed a pen and bounced the end of it against the desk. It's just that maybe I should consult with my lawyer first. Quinn pinned him with a fierce glare. Were you involved in the murder of Brandon Rice? McDougan's brows furled. Why in the fuck would you say that? Quinn shrugged. you're not talking to us. It's because I got a business, McDougan tossed the pen on the desk, and Sticky was my agent. Your agent? Quinn wondered what kind of business McDougan ran that he needed an agent. It's a legal term, McDougan briefly eyed Marcy before returning to Quinn. means he was my employee. It was going to be one of those kind of conversations, Quinn thought. He inhaled deeply to calm himself, then he paused, and Marcy jumped in. "'You got a contract with the city, right?' she motioned round the small office. "'To tow evidentiary vehicles and whatnot?' McDougan pursed his lips briefly. "'What's that got to do with anything?' "'You're not exactly forthcoming,' she lightly kicked the back of the metal desk and the gong reverberated through the office. "'And the tow list is maintained at the chief's pleasure.' All it takes is one phone call from us. McDugan held up a hand to interrupt her. Hold on there, sweet cheeks. Her expression soured. It's Detective Burkett. McDugan ignored her. You've got no right to cut access to toes. Then you better get with the truth. Marcy jerked her thumb through the door. Or we'll walk out of here and straight into the chief's office. McDugan sneered at her. When she smiled, he eyed Quinn. I like you better. Then tell us about Brandon Rice,' Quinn said. "'Marcy dropped back into her chair and crossed her arms. "'McDugan mimicked her motions. "'He flopped back in his chair and folded his arms over his barrel chest. "'It's just that sticky might or might not have illegally seized that bike.' "'Quinn raised an eyebrow. "'Might have?' "'Might not have,' McDugan said quickly. "'I don't know.' "'Quinn nodded, following the line of plausible deniability.' "'Where'd he get the motorcycle?' "'That's the thing,' McDougan said. "'Your dispatcher said Sticky had a bike on the back of his flatbed. "'I don't know nothing about that.' "'You didn't dispatch him?' Marcy said." McDougan sneer returned. "'Lady, what part of I don't know nothing about that did you misunderstand?' Marcy faced her partner. "'Let's go talk to the chief.' Quinn lifted a hand as a signal for her to wait. "'You're running out of chances here, McDougan.' McDugan pointed a thick finger at Marcy. Your partner has it out for me. Just tell us what you know, Quinn said, and we'll leave you to your business. McDugan briefly pursed his lips. The last call Sticky had was for a broken-down BMW on Sunset Highway. He delivered it to the customer's requested repair shop on the north side. After that, he had some downtime. Quinn nodded, following along. What did he normally do during a time like that? Well, he usually came back here and worked on his wife's car. McDugan motioned toward a window that overlooked the yard. Nadine's got a clunker out there that he's limping along. If they knew how to manage their money, they'd be dangerous. But that woman has him wrapped around her finger. Old Sticky should have showed some backbone and put his foot down. And if he didn't come back to the shop, Quinn said, what then? Oh well, he'd poke, he'd park the tow rig where he was and he'd wait for the next call. McDugan said. I didn't want him burning gas what, with inflation at all. So he went into a black hole today, Marcy said, and came out with a bike. McDougan spread his hands wide. That's what it looks like, sweet cheeks. What more can I say? When a man loves a woman. The front door opened and revealed a large man in his early 40s. His black Label Society t-shirt was torn, and his faded blue jeans were frayed at the heels. His work boots were scuffed and untied. He had the thickness a man gets from lifting weights without ever paying attention to his diet. His gut pushed out, and it turned his belt buckle downward. Tattoos lined his muscular arms, most of them of the bluish ink likely earned in prison. Wyatt Schulte? Quinn asked. What about it? The man answered with a growl. Schulte lived in the East Central neighborhood near Liberty Park. The Craftsman-style house had a small porch and a broken swing. An older green Jeep Wagoneer was parked along the curb. Quinn pulled his suit jacket to the side to reveal his gun and badge. I'm Detective Delaney. He jerked his head toward Marcy. This is Detective Burkett. Are you the owner of a 2008 Harley Davidson? Quinn consulted his notebook and read the plate number. The big man folded his arms what about it quinn mimicked his stance do you know where it's at by your question schulte said i'm supposing you do we do schulte frowned as his shoulder slumps guess you better come inside he turned and walked into the house the detectives followed there was no television in the front room only a stereo system rack and a weight bench dumbbells sat clustered near the wall Empty beer bottles were kept in an old box next to the door. It was a tidy place, a room that might remind a man of prison. "'Anyone in the house with you?' Quinn asked. "'Just me.' Schulte dropped heavily onto the bench. Then he bent forward and rested his elbows on his knees. He eyed Marcy. "'Feel free to look around.' She walked toward the back of the house. "'About the bike,' Quinn said. "'Stolen this morning,' Schulte said.' I should say thanks for finding it. Quinn stayed in the middle of the room, giving him a light of sight to Marcy. Don't thank us yet. It was found in a murder scene. Schulte put his hands on his knees and sat upright. I didn't have nothing to do with whatever happened. Of course not, Quinn thought. Where was your bike when it was stolen? Out front, he pointed out the window. On the street. Was it locked? Quinn asked, surprised. Schulte's eyes flattened. No, only a dumbass would steal a bike that belongs to a soul. Quinn studied Schulte. Are you the Widowmaker, or is that the bike's name? Take your pick, Schulte said. Either works, except I didn't kill nobody today. Marcy returned to the room. House is clear. Schulte smirked. Wouldn't have invited you to look around if it wasn't. Quinn asked, Ever hear of Brandon Rice? The biker made a popping sound with his lips. That's the dumbass responsible for this trouble, huh? You know him, Quinn asked. I know his old lady. Schulte smiled at Marcy when he said it. Is he the one who got himself killed? Marcy asked, Are you in a relationship with his wife? Schulte grinned. Well, that's a polite way of putting it. You think Brandon knew about you too, she asked. Schulte chuckled. Him stealing my bike sort of seals the deal, don't you think? Quinn asked, Do you have an alibi for earlier today? Schulte sobered. I already told you, I didn't kill the man. That wasn't my question, Quinn said. Okay, detective, how about I answer your question this way? I can alibi whatever time you say. Schulte stood and put a foot on the weight bench. After my bike was stolen, I went to the clubhouse. Most of the brothers were there, and I wanted to get them out looking for it. Quinn frowned. Alibis given by members of the Wasted Souls were suspect. Even the truth became tainted by its proximity to their clubhouse. If Schulte was indeed involved in Rice's murder, it would be challenging to unpeel the fake alibi onion when it came to the time to prosecute. Quinn and Marcy would need a rock solid proof. If your bike was stolen, Marcy asked, how did you get to the clubhouse? Schulte pointed toward the window again. That Jeep outside is my grocery getter better question Quinn asked where were you when your bike was stolen what were you doing doing Schulte leered at Marcy I was in the back of the house doing Nadine spare me she said not a chance cop Quinn shook his head Mr. Schulte would you be willing to come down to the station and take a GSR test gunshot residue Schulte flicked his hand I'm not going anywhere but if you want to bring a test here i do that. I didn't shoot that idiot, and I'm not gonna jail for it. Till death do them part. Nadine Rice came to the front door with an unlit cigarette and a lighter in her right hand. Her gray flannel shirt hung open over a dull Soul Garden t-shirt. Her tight jeans flared out over her bare feet. She leaned against the door door frame and affected a look of disinterest. Who are you, she asked, more bored than curious. Quinn and Marcy had left Wyatt with a couple of patrol officers so he wouldn't have the opportunity to call Nadine. The Rice home was in West Central. It was a dilapidated two-story affair. The porch railing had failed and lay partially in the yard. There were no cars in the driveway and none out front. Quinn opened his suit jacket to show his gun and his badge. Detective Delaney, he said. This is my partner, Detective Burkett. Mind if we come in? i do mind," Nadine said. She eyed Marcy the way a pit bull might. Does he always speak for you? Marcy stared back but remained silent. Strong, quiet type, huh? Nadine returned her gaze to Quinn. I ain't seen the stupid sum of bitch. Who, Quinn asked? Well, my brother. That's what this is about, right? Every so often, one of you types comes around here looking for my brother, Raleigh. She furrowed her brows. Raleigh, Germany? Quinn glanced at Marcy, who cocked her head in return. Almost everyone in the Spokane Police Department knew the man due to his lengthy criminal history. As far back as Quinn could remember... Raleigh had been in trouble for assaults, mischief, and robbery. The guy had both mental issues and substance abuse problems. "'Well, you can forget about it,' Nadine said. "'He hasn't been around here in forever. "'Not since my husband told him to get his worthless ass off our property.'" "'When was that?' Quinn asked. "'Last year,' Nadine shook her head. "'Or thereabouts. you think I would miss the fool, "'but he hasn't reached out in all that time to say he was sorry or nothing.'" As far as I'm concerned, my brother can stay gone. I'm sorry to break this to you, Quinn said, but we're here about your husband. Brandon? She poked the cigarette in between her lips. It bounced as she spoke. What could he have done? He died, Marcy said. It was a quick rip off of the band-aid. Quinn doubted that he would have broken the news that way, but Marcy sensed something and she jumped into the conversation. That's how interviews often went. Back and forth, push and pull. Both detectives knew when to step back and let the other take the lead. It wasn't about egos. It was about getting to the truth. Nadine blinked several times. He's dead? Marcy cleared her throat. throat) Murdered. Oh, Christ. Nadine pulled the unlit cigarette from her mouth. How? Shot in the head. Marcy held up an imaginary gun to her temple. Nadine grimaced. "'Where did this happen?' "'In his tow truck,' Marcy said. "'The corner of Mission and Hamilton.' "'Nadine covered her mouth. "'You think Raleigh did it?' "'Why would you say that?' Marcy asked. "'You said you hadn't seen him in a while.' "'Yeah, but Raleigh was upset at Brandon the last time. "'He said he'd get him back.' "'Marcy made like she took a note. "'What about Wyatt Schulte?' "'Who?' Nadine asked, "'trying for innocent and failing.' Marcy smirked. Please, we know. Nadine's face hardened. Why do you think he would have anything to do with Brandon's death? Marcy sighed as if she hated explaining the obvious. Because Brandon had Schutte's bike on the back of his tow truck, souls aren't known for their sense of humor when it comes to their bikes. Nadine shook her head. Double Christ, Brandon didn't. Oh, he did, Marcy said. He stole it while you two were in the middle of the huckleback. At least that's what Wyatt said. Nadine frowned. Think what you want, but what we do is not illegal. She struck the cigarette back in her mouth and she lit it finally. Marcy shifted her stance. Do you think Wyatt capable of murder? Nadine exhaled two streams of smoke through her nose. Oh, hell. Wyatt didn't even know Brandon. She waved her hand about. The cigarette smoke trailed in the air. To Wyatt, my husband was a figment of imagination had he met brandon why I wouldn't have worried none that's like a wolf worried about a house cat marcy put her hands on her hips you called your husband before his murder i'm his wife nadine flicked ash from her cigarette i was seeing what he wanted for dinner ain't no crime in that what did you decide marcy asked that's a funny question nadine stepped onto the patio and both detectives took a half step back "'You want my recipe for tuna casserole? "'I'll cut you a piece when it's done. "'It's, it's cooking right now.' "'Maybe next time,' Marcy said. "'Just a few more questions. "'Where did you go after you left Wyatt's house?' Nadine looked around the neighborhood. "'I went grocery shopping. "'Needed some tuna and other things.' "'Your car is at Medu's Auto Shop,' Quinn said. "'How did you get around?' "'I called an Uber,' Nadine said without faltering. "'Haven't you ever been inconvenienced in your life?' "'How about you show us?' Marcy asked. Nadine's gaze settled on her. "'Show you what?' "'Your cell phone,' Marcy motioned like she was dialing a number. "'The Uber app. It should show where and when you were picked up.' Nadine's teeth clicked together. "'It was Wyatt. He drove me.' "'Why didn't you just say that?' Marcy asked. "'Why do you think? I'm running around on my husband. "'It doesn't exactly look good, does it?' Marcy cocked her head. "'Can you think of anyone who wanted to hurt your husband?' You mean besides my brother? You've said, Marcy pressed. Anyone else? Nadine clicked her tongue against the back of her teeth. No one? I mean, everyone loved Brandon. He was the kindest, most trusting man I ever met. Marcy raised her eyebrows. That didn't make him a good roll in the hay. Nadine flicked Ash from the cigarette's end. A woman still has her needs, you know? Her gaze challenged Marcy's. That doesn't mean I killed my husband, and neither did Wyatt. You don't seem too upset by his death, Marcy said. Nadine's eyes narrowed. Are you some kind of counselor, detective? Do you suppose to know what's going inside of me right now? Marcy shook her head slowly. It's just an observation. Well, you can keep those observations to yourself, Nadine snapped. Is there anything else? beast of burden. Quinn tossed his notebook onto the desk before dropping into his chair. He tapped the spacebar on his keyboard and called his computer to life. He grabbed his desk phone and called dispatch. It was answered on the first call. Annie, a woman said. It's Quinn. Do me a favor and put out an attempt to locate on Raleigh, Germany. She clicked her tongue. What did he do now? Quinn cradled the phone between his ear and his shoulder. We'd like to talk to him about a homicide. He graduated to murder? Wow. There was more clicking on the keyboard. Raleigh's only a person of interest, Quinn clarified. He didn't want an overeager patrol officer to engage Germany as if the man was an actual suspect. Quinn still had work to do to move Germany into that category. A person of interest, Annie said. Okay, I'll let patrol know. Quinn ended the call as Marcy settled into her desk chair. So far, Quinn said, the evidence isn't telling us much. It's going to be days, maybe a week, before we get the results back on the slug they pulled from that cab. If they get anything, Marcy added. It looked pretty mangled. Well, then we got to find the gun to match to it, Quinn said. And we've got no decent witnesses to boot, he shook his head. One of the busiest intersections in Spokane and nobody saw anything? How's that happen? patrol is still working on that video angle Marcy leaned back in her chair and put her feet up on the desk I'm not optimistic we'll get anything useful though me either Quinn said how do you feel after interviewing both uh, Wyatt and Nadine Marcy crossed her arms I weep for our society Quinn laughed beyond that you think either of them could have done it I mean Wyatt could have she said but I doubt he did look at it this way first it was sloppy and in broad daylight second he left his bike on the flatbed why do such a thing it points us right at him and the souls no way he would do that the guy's a meatball but he's not that dumb what about quinn what about nadine quinn asked is she a meatball too oh she couldn't kill her husband marcy tried to mimic nadine's voice Brandon, he was the most kindest, most trusting person she knew. Quinn laughed at the terrible impression, but a woman's got her needs. A woman's got her needs, Marcy muttered. She turned to her computer and slapped the keyboard. Tell me about it. Quinn stared at his blank computer screen. What are you doing, Marcy asked, thinking about what you said. About my needs? You need help, Quinn. He faked a shiver. God, no, he stood. I'm heading over to CTF and see if they can shine some additional light on the bikers. Marcy frowned. Why not go over to SIU? They're the gang unit. Quinn shrugged. Morgan knows the bikers better than anyone. Now it was Marcy's turn to shiver. Ugh. Go ahead and have fun with that. The criminal task force sat in the neighboring Monroe County building. The unit was created during the crack epidemic of the 90s before Quinn started with the department. Since then, the CTF had lost any traditional sense of mission. The Spokane Police Department kept it around with budget trickery and used it as a hammer to deal with problems not easily handled by patrol or the other specialty units. Most officers glorified the team, but Quinn disliked it. He thought it rife with cowboy mentality. Unfortunately, it seemed that the current police chief found the CTF more than helpful at times. Due to the team's longevity within the department, it was likely that his predecessors had considered the unit useful as well. Quinn entered the team's office. All the desks were staffed, which surprised him. He'd been in the office before and never found it fully operational. Someone was always in the field. The CTF was comprised of a sergeant, two detectives, and three officers. Detective James Morgan looked up as Quinn approached. He put down his pen and he squinted. The man was an enigma, a brute with a brain, revered by many, hated by few. He survived multiple uses of force and ethics complaints. Rumors had circulated within the department about Morgan hobnobbing with judges, city council members, and defense attorneys. Quinn sat uninvited in the chair across from Morgan. Got a minute? For you, Delaney, I got two. I'll only need one, Quinn said. What can you tell me about Wyatt Schulte? Right to business as always, Morgan said. What's your interest? Homicide. The one from Hamilton Street, Quinn said. It was Schulte's bike that was on the flatbed. The victim, a guy named Brandon Rice, illegally towed it. Brandon Rice... Never heard of him. Morgan glanced around the office. The rest of the team eavesdropped on their conversation and all shook their heads at his silent question. Why'd he pick up the bike? Payback, Quinn said. Wyatt was hooking up with his wife. Morgan grinned. Wyatt is a notorious poonhound. Guy gets out of jail and goes crazy for it. There's something about him that brings the women running. I would have figured the husband would do something stupid like challenge Schulte to a fight not be suicidal and poach the man's ride. Quinn leaned in, interested. Do you think Wyatt would murder someone for stealing his motorcycle? And if Soul's bike is sacred territory, I could imagine just about anything happening, Morgan's head bounced side to side, especially if it meant he had to drive a grocery getter around for any length of time. You know what he drives? Quinn asked. Morgan grunted. It's in the file. Most of them have a car for schlepping milk and eggs, except it's usually the old ladies who drive them. And with that said, there's no way I see Wyatt zapping someone on the corner at any time of day. It's too public. If he were gonna do it, it would be done quietly where none of us would ever hear about it. That was in line with Quinn's own thoughts. How did he earn the Widowmaker moniker? It's an old 80s song, Morgan said, one of those hair metal bands. He told me one time when we were making nice, and I made a note about it in his file. We can look that up, too, if you think it's important. Quinn waved a hand. Do you think any of the souls would have killed rice that way? Morgan shook his head. Same argument. A soul, the souls are hot-tempered, but they're not stupid. That corner at that time of day, it's an audacious way to kill a man. Brazen, Quinn said, recalling Moshe's words from earlier that day. Detective Synonym, Morgan said. I'll tell you this much. There's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. When the results are disastrous, it's easy to point to the latter. When the results resemble success, it's hard to find the truth. Quinn stood. Thanks, Morgan. Morgan appeared perplexed. I don't know what I did. Well, you gave me some food for thought. A Brother's Keeper. When Quinn arrived at his desk, he. Wait, let me try that one again. When Quinn arrived at his desk, he hung up his cell phone. Marcy looked over from where she sat. You're back from the land of misfit toys? Let's go, he said. Patrol found Raleigh, Germany. He turned and headed for the exit. Marcy hurried to catch up with him. What's with that look on your face? Inspiration, Quinn said. It's something Morgan said about bravery and stupidity. She sniffed dismissively. Well, that guy should know. You said it was brazen for someone to kill Brandon Rice at that corner this morning. Marcy nodded, but maybe it was stupid. Or something in between. Quinn pushed open a door to the west exit. He was lost in his thoughts. A 7-Eleven stood at the corner of 2nd Avenue and Pine Street. Its vibrant colors, central location, and all-day operating hours were a beacon for the homeless population in the area. Clusters of dirty, shabbily dressed people milled about the property, while citizens quickly pumped gas or hurried inside for a snack. Three patrol cars parked in the lot and formed a triangle. Three officers and Raleigh, Germany stood in the middle. Traffic backed up on second as commuters rubbernecked, several ho- homeless men hovered nearby. Raleigh seemed, oh, I hate this word, preternaturally calm as he leaned against the push bar of one of the patrol cars. He wore a filthy white t-shirt, brown Carhartt pants, and leather sandals. His feet were dusty. Patrol officer Pauline Sherman stepped away from the group. She was a tall, slightly overweight woman who carried a permanent look of pensive anger. She wore the black jumpsuit that most of the department favored these days. It's the professionals, she said. Marcy smiled. Aw, you like us. Don't sprain your arm patting yourself on the back, Pauline said. I'm mocking your suits. Of course you are, Marcy smirked. You're no fashion prize yourself. Pauline ran a hand along her side. Any man would be lucky to have a piece of this. Marcy snorted any man would be lucky to survive a piece of you you know it pauline said from his position perched against the nearby patrol car raleigh germany scoffed you two want to get a room pauline turned relax buddy we'll get to you soon enough you got no right raleigh said i didn't do nothing quinn moved closer where were you this morning raleigh lifted his chin who are you Detective Delaney, he motioned to Marcy. Detective Burkett. Never heard of you, Raleigh said. Answer their questions, Pauline said. We've all got better places to be. Raleigh's face pinched. You answer their questions. I didn't do nothing. Where's his stuff, Quinn asked. Pauline pointed to a shopping cart loaded with items such as soiled sleeping bags, grimy clothes, and worn-out shoes. Stay out of there, Raleigh said. Do you own a gun, Quinn asked. A gun? Raleigh searched the faces of the officers near him. No. His eyes locked now onto Quinn's. No. Marcy's cell phone rang. She answered it and stepped away. Where were you this morning? Quinn asked a second time. Raleigh waggled a finger. I wasn't nowhere if it had something to do with a gun. You've been arrested with one in the past, Quinn reminded him. I learned my lesson. Raleigh glanced between the officers. I swear to God, he motioned to his shopping cart. Check my stuff if you don't believe me. The two patrolmen eyed Quinn. He lifted his chin toward the cart, full of grubby items. Both men grimaced. Quinn was sure they'd curse his name later. Raleigh said, listen detectives, I'm on a new path. I'm taking my meds and I'm following the gospel. One of the patrol officers lifted several pill bottles from the cart and shook them. see, Raleigh said. They leveled me out, quieted the voices. He tapped his temple. I even got my 90-day chip. She saw it. He lifted his chin in Pauline's directions. She confiscated it and put it in a plastic bag. Pauline motioned toward the hood of the patrol car. There's a chip in there with the other stuff from his pockets. Doesn't guarantee he's clean. I am, Raleigh said. He faced Quinn. I swear. Why are you still out here? Quinn asked. On the streets? Raleigh spread his arms. I like it. Listen, you don't have to be sick in the head to want to be free. There's something completely different than drugs and the voices. Marcy covered her open ear with her hand. Say that again, she said into the phone. Quinn watched her for a moment before returning his attention to Raleigh. When is the last time you spoke with your brother-in-law? Brandon? Raleigh shrugged. Hell, I don't know. Not since last year? Right before Thanksgiving, I think. "'Is that when he kicked you out of the house?' Quinn asked. Raleigh furrowed his brows. "'What are you talking about? Brandon never kicked me out.' Quinn nodded, playing along. "'But you guys fought, right? Our guys were even called in to deal with you in the past.' "'That's because of my sister winding me up,' Raleigh said. "'She did that so I would fight with Brandon, "'and then she kicked me out because of it. "'She's crazy.' He interlaced his fingers." You gotta believe me, detective. I'm totally neutral now. Wait, something happened to Brandon? Something didn't happen, Raleigh, Quinn said. Someone climbed up to the window of his tow truck and shot his brains across the cab. It wasn't me, Raleigh said. Poor Brandon. That ain't right. Marcy ended her call. Patrol found a business with some video of the incident. Quinn watched Raleigh for his reaction, but the man seemed more concerned about learning about his brother-in-law's status. According to Silva, a green jeep wagoneer pulled into the lot, Marcy said, and then grinned. Quinn was about to ask a question, but she cut cut him off. Wait, it gets better. (coughs) And we're at the deliberation right as I start coughing up a storm. Sorry, listeners.
1: All right. I'm going to be honest with you. There aren't that many suspects. There aren't. That doesn't mean I know.
0: <laughs> so Colin, he's given us a messy little murder. Um, it's a he said, she said. And it takes place, obviously, inside of a flatbed tow truck. So here are the last people to affect the last days of Brandon Rice's life. All right. Mm-hmm. We got Callum McDougan, the owner of McDougan's Tow Yard, and Brandon's employer. If Brandon was into some kind of trouble, and he's not saying he was, then he had nothing to do with it, of course. Of course. We have Wy- Wyatt Schulte, a wasted soul known as the Widowmaker, who is making it with Brandon's wife. It was his bike that was on the back of the tow truck. Uh-huh. We have Nadine Rice, Brandon's wife. Brandon was a good husband, but boring in bed. It wasn't nothing that Wyatt couldn't fix.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: And then we have Raleigh, Germany, Nading's brother. His mental health issues landed him in jail more than once, but now he's on his meds, and he's totally in control and happy living on the streets.
1: I'm going to be honest. It doesn't feel like it's any of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Funny thing that Raleigh's last name is really Garmony, but the first time I said it, I said Germany, and so then I couldn't change it back. So <laughs> apologies to to uh, Colin, because I know he wrote the name Germany, but I said Germany.
1: Well, I'm. I was wondering about that. I was like, that's such a peculiar last name. Like, yep. it's not a bad last name. It's just like.
0: Yep. All right. That's... that's what you call a typo. Okay. So here's a summary of your clues to work with. All right. Brandon was shot in the head in the cab of his flatbed tow truck, and his seatbelt was still fastened. Uh-huh. The cab window was eight feet off the ground, and a step had to be used to reach the window. The tow truck was parked in a vacant lot on one of the busiest intersections in Spokane, and the lot was commonly used for pop-up tent sales, eating fast food, and meeting up. There was no tow order on the Widowmaker bike. Nadine Rice and Wyatt Schulte were having an affair. They were together at his home when the bike was towed. After his bike was towed, Schulte went to the Souls Clubhouse to get his brothers to look for his bike. He drove his Jeep. Nadine Rice called her husband about 30 minutes before his murder, reportedly to ask what he wanted for dinner, and he wanted a tuna fish casserole. She then went to the grocery store. Um, Nadine Rice's car was at Medugin's tow yard, where Brandon worked on fixing it between his runs. Nadine reported Ubering it to the grocery store from Schulte's house, then quickly said that Schulte had driven her. In Raleigh, Germany, hadn't seen Brandon or Nadine in months, and he didn't own a gun.
1: I think it's the wife. You
0: think it's the wife?
1: But I have to explain why, because if I'm wrong, you're going to tell me. <laughs> All right? All right. Not that you're going to tell me who it is, but because I'm pretty sure I have a detail wrong. Okay. Um, I think it's the wife, because she says that Schulte drove her to the grocery store, right?
0: That's what she says.
1: After he went to go tell his brothers to help him look for the bike Mm -hmm. so you're telling me schulte lost his bike his prized possession and then drove the girl he's hooking up with to the grocery store what that doesn't sound believable
0: that's her story
1: i don't believe it and i
0: and didn't schulte say that he went straight to the clubhouse
1: exactly so and it was half an hour before i don't understand why she called him i'm sure that'll be explained if if it matters, if, you know, if it's not just, a, oh, she just did, mm-hmm. you know, if she's lying. I think she did it because Schultz hasn't said anything about that. He hasn't been asked about it, so he hasn't been able to confirm or deny it. I don't think he is even aware that she said that that's what they did. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's her. Okay. All
0: Shall we find out about the kindest, most trusting man? I guess so. <laughs> Nadine Rice opened the door to her home. She still wore the same flannel shirt as earlier, but had changed her t-shirt to one featuring a Motley Crue logo. Black Converse tennis shoes were now on her feet. You're back, she said. Quinn asked, may we come in? She eyed Marcy, decided to try my tuna casserole, huh? No, Marcy said, we have some follow-up questions. Nadine stayed in the doorway. I told you, I don't know where my brother is. "'That's all right,' Quinn said. "'We found him.' She smirked. "'That was fast. "'Still batshit crazy, huh?' Quinn shook his head. "'Actually, he's fine. "'He's on antipsychotics, attending counseling, "'and staying clean with the Lord's help.' She crossed her arms over her chest. "'Well, I'll believe that when I see it.' "'Throws a wrench into your story,' Marcy said." Nadine pursed her lips. I, "'I don't know what you're talking about.' "'How about this?' Marcy said." You called Brandon and asked him to meet. I told you it was about dinner, Nadine snapped. You think I killed my husband? Marcy ignored the question, continuing her story. Shortly after that, a green Jeep Wagoneer pulled into the vacant lot at Mission and Hamilton. Oh my God, Nadine's lips quivered. Wyatt has a green Jeep. He does, Marcy said, but he wasn't driving. What well, was somebody else's Jeep then, Nadine said quickly. No, it was his, Marcy said, shaking her head. You see, the dried cleaner across the street has video cameras. Sometimes they've suffered some break-ins. They caught you driving Wyatt's Jeep, walking up to the tow truck, and then leaving. Nadine smirked, so what, I saw my husband. Doesn't prove anything. I didn't tell you because I didn't want it to get back to Wyatt and have him get jealous. "'Didn't you say Brandon was a figment of Wyatt's imagination?' Marcy asked. "'That it was like, what, a wolf worrying about a house cat?' Nadine shrugged off her words. "'None of this proves anything.' "'Maybe, maybe not,' Quinn said. "'We touched base with Wyatt before coming here and asked if you were driving his car today.' Nadine ran her tongue underneath her upper lip. "'I don't believe you. He wouldn't say nothing that put me in jeopardy. That's not how he is.' Marcy smiled. I think you have a false impression of your boyfriend. Once we told him that we had a video of his car at a murder scene and you getting out of it, he told us how you drove him to the clubhouse and then you took the car shopping. When you brought it back, that's when he took you home. Nadine flicked her hand, whatever. Nadine Rice, Quinn said, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband, Brandon Rice her eyes darkened. Good luck finding the gun. We won't need it, Quinn said. He grabbed her hand and pulled her out of the house. Marcy took the woman's other wrist and slapped a cuff on it. You have the right to an attorney. The detectives led Nadine down the steps to the waiting patrol car. You got it all wrong, Nadine said. Her voice was now soft and filled with uneasiness. Brandon, I mean, he wasn't that good of a husband. Marcy lifted her brow. You said he was the kindest, most trusting man you knew. Nadine twisted to look at Marcy. I was lying to not speak ill of the dead. You know how it is, but he beat me something fierce. Quinn suspected Nadine's story had changed now due to her being caught. She wasn't the first person to do that once in in custody, and she certainly wouldn't be the last. Nadine looked up at Quinn, her face softened and her eyes misted. I'm a battered woman. At the 11th hour, Marcy muttered, "'Nadine squinted. "'It seemed as if she were trying to make the tears fall. "'It's true. I had to stand up for myself. "'Brandon was going to hurt me because of Wyatt.' "'Are you admitting to killing your husband?' Quinn asked. "'Nadine's eyes shifted to Marcy and then back to him. "'The tenderness in her eyes dissipated, and she spat on the, on the sidewalk. "'I want to talk to an attorney.' "'When you get to jail,' Quinn said. "'He protected Nadine's head as he guided her into the back of the patrol car.' And when she put her feet inside, he shut the door. The end. Sucker. You got it. I did get it. You got it. Exactly right. I'm so proud of myself. You f- you figured out the way she tripped herself up that, yeah, Wyatt was telling the truth. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it seemed too obvious to be him. I, of course, that's just gaming it. But also, yeah, no, the, the story didn't line up, man.
0: I don't think it was gaming it like him being obvious, but I think given the type of person and character was, he wouldn't have done it that way.
1: Why did she call him? Did it explain that? And I wasn't paying attention.
0: It didn't explain it, but if I put myself in uh, Colin's shoes, here the writer,
1: that th- was just a red herring. No, uh-huh. I think uh-huh. that was
0: where she knew where to go get him. She, you know, she probably uh-huh. said, "Meet me." You know, I want to. I want to meet you. We need to talk. And he's like, "Okay, I'm going to be at Hamilton and." I forget what the cross street was, yeah, so I think that was the setup.
1: I think it's weird though, hmm. why would he tell her that when he currently has the motorcycle he stole?
0: that's a good point well <laughs> from, I mean, if he's pissed that she's cheating on him, maybe he kind of wanted her to see it, like maybe you
1: know we can assume that, but also he's I, not as what weak was the other thing that I didn't hmm. understand, oh, hmm. I mean I. This one, I might just be thinking too much about it. But they found the security footage of her going up to the car. Isn't that it? Isn't that evidence? Do they not? Like, is that not it? Yeah, that's it.
0: She's still denying it. But yeah. She's
1: denying it. But I mean, I don't know. Some of the other stuff seems like, cool, we have, your story doesn't line up. And we have a video of you doing it. Yeah. Which one matters more? All right. I guess the
0: video wouldn't have shown her shooting him because of the way she held her body. But it would have showed her, you know, getting out of the car, going up and then going away. So I guess she could argue that, hey, I just wanted to ask him what he wanted for dinner. But you already
1: called. <gasps> no, I know. I mean, she's yeah. caught
0: again. Either way, she's caught. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's the problem with doing so many of these. <laughs> well, you see all the little things that no, they do they matter in the end? No. But you can constantly pick apart anything if you have enough time.
0: And this one was a little tricky to pick on where to put the deliberation.
1: Yeah. Because
0: of course once you got the video footage
1: Yeah, it's it's done.
0: It's done. So you had I had to put the break before that. But I thought with the quay, with the way man, I apologize, listeners, because my tongue just keeps getting twisted today. With the way Colin set it up. That footage was going to be kind of more for the the law and order side of it, that it wasn't needed for us mystery lovers to figure out.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was just the nail in the coffin, you know. Everything else was the more entertaining part.
0: Yeah, but it was set up well because you could see a Mm storyline in a way where any of them could have done it. Like, you know, maybe um, Colin McDugan, the tow truck owner, like maybe he was running something shady. Mm -hmm. And so he... Off the witness.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, if they didn't go very much into that, he was like the first suspect. Yeah. And, you know, then he was just the guy. And so I think, I mean, it was pretty easy to strike him off just because, you know, there's no. Yeah. He was really a witness. Yeah. There's no motive. It was a witness. And then, um, Widowmaker guy, I mean, it could have been him. It could have easily been him. He could have gone to the club. I think. If the killing had been more brutal, I mean, this was nasty. Yeah. But if it had been more like, oh, 80 guys were there and beat him <laughs> to death. Yeah, it could have been him. But I mean, when you think about the crime that they would have committed if they had caught him, they wouldn't have just shot him in the head and left him in his truck.
0: Well, and the thing for me is they left the bike there.
1: Oh, yeah. And that which oh, is that's what they mentioned, too. Yeah. Is that You left the bike. How would you why would you have gone and yeah. done that? Yeah. You're right. That's and a much more reasonable explanation as to why it's not them as.
0: And the brother was probably the least credible setup because he had, there he was not. a conflict, but it was a year old. It wasn't. Yeah, if it was
1: like a few weeks ago, yeah. we kicked him out, that would have been like a fresh burn Yeah. on um, that little change. Also, maybe if he had at least owned a gun. Yep. He doesn't have to have it on him, but if he owned a gun, it would have made it like a. Yep. But I mean, between him, he, they just found him at a 7 Eleven.
0: Nadine is just. A mean old little bitch I mean she tried to set her (laughs) brother up To take a fall for that Poor (laughs) Garminy Germany (laughs) Garminy Yeah Oops Um,
1: This was was really well written I liked it Um.
0: So let's learn more about Colin So Colin Conway is the creator Of the 509 Crime Stories The Cozy Up Series The John Cutler Mysteries and Others He served in the U.S. Army And later was an officer For the Spokane Police Department he lives in eastern Washington with his girlfriend and a codependent Vizla that rules their world. Follow his journey on ColinConway.com. All right, people, that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, TGWolfWithTwoFs.com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors and their stories. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Toad Away was written by Colin Conway. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by Tina Wolf. All right, Jack. How are we going out today?